Welcome to Soundbreaker. I'm your host, Bob Shammy, and we are about to break the silence. Join me as we go behind the scenes and meet some of the most influential names in the music industry. Get ready for remarkable success stories that break the norms and defy the odds. From dreams to success, from challenges to victory, an exclusive backstage pass into the lives of music trailblazers as they create their own path to success. This is Soundbreaker. Welcome to Soundbreaker. On today's episode, we're talking to Lauren Shaidez, who is a groundbreaker in the music industry and a legend into, in promotion, billboard promotion. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. Uh, for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself before we dive in into it, just a little bit. Bob, first yes, of all, sir. thank you so much for having me. This is such it's a treat. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, <laughs> I'm enjoying doing this, and thanks for having me on your podcast today. Um, I most recently, uh, within the music business, worked as an independent record promoter handling national dance music promotion for, uh, I would say, almost every label that's out there. Um, I had my own independent career for 35 or 36 years. That's a long time. Promoted a lot of yes. records. And um, it was a lot of fun. My, my responsibilities were hyping brand new records to DJs around the country and then ultimately getting records onto the charts in Billboard mag magazine on the dance chart. And uh, we'll talk more about that in detail. Yes, that's, that's yes. The, that's the base of, of what I did in, in, in the yeah, I mean, you went through eras, 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, each one, a lot to talk about. It's going to be fun. So, Lauren, can we go back a bit uh, to the past and say maybe your childhood? How did it all start? Like, what, what was drive your passion? You want This is what you want to do, being in the music industry. You well, know, if you I could take know. us back. I don't know if I really knew I wanted to be in, in the music industry um, at a young yeah. age. I loved music. Uh, at an early age, I really loved listening to classical music. And then throughout high school, I worked in a record store in um, Westchester County, New York. For eight years, I was working there, all through high school and all through college. And, wow. Um, I would there. assume vinyl, vinyl. It store. was all vinyl. vinyl, vinyl cassettes and forty fives. That's all there was. Oh my back god, forty fives. This yes. is from nineteen seventy one until nineteen seventy eight, um, uh -huh. and it gave me a chance to really feel what vinyl was all about. I, I think the vinyl uh -huh. bug bit me early, really early. I was only <laughs> a, a, a you know a young teenager at the time. But wow. um, that was my very, very early, early involvement with with music and records. And I I used to stock um, music for the record store that I worked at. Really loved it. Learned about distributing labels and things like that at a very young age. Um, so it all was just beginning to make sense uh, for me there when when I started uh, actually working in that record store. Then um, after I graduated, was that during the, the sorry? Was that during yeah. the disco era? No, no, no. This is before the disco era. This wow. is from wow. 1971 
until wow. 1978. That's when I worked at this record store. So disco uh-huh. was coming in at the end of that. I was myself listening to a lot of rock and roll. I was listening to Mata Hoople, Slade, David Bowie, you know, groups uh-huh. like that when I worked at this yeah. record store. But I saw wow. records come in that were disco records, but wasn't really making any sense of them yet. I think I have yes. crossed into that field just yet. Um, yes. So after I um, graduated from college, which was in uh, 77, just months yeah. after, I uh, got a call from somebody. Uh, it was a classmate who had graduated just the year before me. And uh-huh. this person said that they were leaving their job at Columbia Records. And would I be interested in taking this? It was an entry-level position, but they asked me if I was mm-hmm. interested in taking the job. And, of course, I said yes. I had no idea what they were talking about. But it meant for me, hey, this, this means now traveling into New, York, into New York City, commuting, and um, getting my life started uh, in the music business. And uh, I learned a lot very quickly, and things happened very quickly. And who knew? that this was going to be my era, uh, uh, my area. Uh, I thought I might be a music teacher or something like that, but it turned out that I was a pro- professional in the music business. After all what, that. what did you do in Colombia? Everything? At, at, and at Columbia Records, I worked in the publicity department. So I hadn't oh, broken into... Yeah, in, in, this yeah. is PR. It's all press. It's working with all the... Uh, newspapers and and Rolling Stone magazine and Cream magazine and, and all the publications uh, all out the there. publications yeah. around the country yeah um, yeah I wasn't into promotion yet that came later on when I went to Polygram which was then Universal Music yeah. so yeah. that's when I broke into uh, promotion and then eventually dance music so you learned about you know, vinyl distribution and record labels and sounds and all of that at the record store. Then you transfer to Columbia and that's when you learn about PR, which is a big yeah. thing, obviously. It's part of promotion. You and know. also working at Columbia Records was was just uh, such an amazing uh, yeah. part of my life. I I got to learn very quickly. Who do you work? Did you who you work with I, any I, big uh, uh, Columbia? You work with any any of the big artists? Oh, at, uh, at such Columbia at the, at at Columbia, the time? Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, there was uh, Elvis Costello was a new artist, and I, I was lucky enough to be able to work with him, Bruce Springsteen. There were a lot of established uh-huh. artists. Uh, Billy Joel had already had self, several wow. albums out, but I was lucky enough to be able to work with him there. Um, uh-huh. And then, you know, there were Santana and Paul Simon. Wow. And, and, uh, you know, these are all artists that were already established, but there were a lot of new artists like Cheryl Lynn uh, that were coming, you know, at that at that point. So at that time, uh, wow. and that was my first taste, I think, of getting into the dance music field. And by then uh-huh. I was starting to go to clubs in New York City and all of that. So it all kind of tied. So in you witnessed the, the era of Studio 54. You did witness uh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that man. And, and 12 West and uh, 
I can't even think of all the clubs. There's so many of them. For and, our listeners, uh, this is all happening in New York. For our listeners, so they know. This is, what are they, this so is these all clubs in New York are? City. New York this City, New the York Big City. Apple, yes. Right, yes. and I, yeah. lived, I lived in New York City at that time. Yes. And, yes. Uh, of course, I at that time, I was going out to clubs seven days a week. Um, and it was everything from things. CBGB to the Limelight to yes, uh, the Roxy limelight, CBGB to the Saint, Lower East Side. You know, Roxy, I mean, all, oh all my God. I, I went everywhere, yes, absolutely everywhere. Yes. I mean, that was just part of my life. And uh, by then I was really getting into it and uh, really enjoying it. So working in Colombia and all of that, it shaped your obviously your your career and your experience in the music industry. How did how did that like kind of turn out? Like where from there? Like say, okay, I know what I want to do now. Well, I realized that I was enjoying promotion. By this point, yeah. things had switched from publicity to promotion. Um, mm -hmm. And what was happening though? I found. Um, I, I had I was let go at Columbia Records along with hundreds of other people. I think what we thought. How come? At that point, well, a lot of the labels were downsizing. Yeah, I think they had overhired yeah. in the seventies, and then in one day they just fired hundreds of people. And of course, I was a casualty at that point, which I wasn't mm -hmm, too happy mm -hmm. about. But I was able to pick up um, and, and get back up on my feet again. And uh, before too long, I was working at uh, Polygram Records, which was uh, Mercury, Polydor, and Casablanca. Um, and the same thing happened there. I was let go at that label for the same reason. Wow. So uh, I, I was starting to get frustrated. I wanted to be in the music business, but I didn't want to then go from label to label to label. And I, see, I for, saw for, this was happening to other people, too. They would go for Polygram, what did you do? Promotion or you did I, like I was PR, doing publicity? promotion there. Right, promotion oh. there. And then eventually uh, headed up the, the dance promotion department. So that was my full introduction into the dance music business. That was and about promotion. 1982 yeah. or so. Um, but after leaving Polygram, um, and I, I noticed that there were other people that were moving from label to label to label. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have more stability in my life. So in 84, yes. I decided to start my own company. And I started working as an independent. And it was a real challenge. It was not easy to get started. There were wow. some other independents that were ahead of me by a couple of years with their experience. So I had to break in. And you said ground. what year was it? You started eighty four. This was this was eighty four that I started wow. my my own. This is when I started in the business. Yeah, eighty four. Yeah. Yes, uh, that's when I started in the business. I formed and, Wacker Records actually in in August of eighty four. Right, right. <laughs> yes. So, yes, yes. Um, but uh, it was something that I knew I wanted to do. So yeah. uh, I did it, and and it, it took it took about. A year, year and a half for me to really get in there. Um, I had to prove myself. I had to start selling myself in terms of my abilities as a promoter and yeah. um, go to the labels one at a time. Uh, what was yeah. interesting, and I think what, what, what made things a little bit different for me, is that um, Many of the other independent promoters were working for the majors. They were working for Atlanta and Warner Brothers and RCA, yeah. Yeah. Capital and Columbia. 
And they it yeah. seems like they were almost not disregarding the independent labels, but they weren't as concerned with them. So that's when uh. I went in. And I figured, you know, here are all these incredible independent labels that are out there. There was Bobcat Records. That was Bobby Orlando. There was um, Profile Records. Uh, that was Profile. Uh, I remember Profile. They had right? a lot of hits also. They Profile. had a yeah, lot of Yeah, I remember hits. Profile. Um, yes. So I decided, hey, I'll work for these independent labels. And, and they had a lot of freestyle that, records. A lot of, yeah, a lot of freestyle. freestyle. There was yeah, some hip-hop hits. I mean, Run DMC yes. was huge back then. Yeah. You know, all that yeah. kind of yes. stuff. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. You know what? I got to correct something. It wasn't 84 when I started. 94. I'm sorry. It was 94. I was 10 years off. <laughs> okay. Years okay. Off. Where did those 10 years go? <laughs> you you misplaced them somehow, right? I was trying to figure out still what I want to do, where I want to go. Yes. <laughs> I was in New York. Um, you know, you know, I want to get into the promotion, to launch Ideas Promotion, which is, you know, I would say... You are godsend to the independent labels. You really were. I mean, you worked every record I released. <clears throat> every record. I cannot name one. You're the only one. The first record I say was promoted, excuse me, was introduced. Um, I don't know if you know uh, Ted Patterson. Oh, yeah. And Ted Patterson, he's the first one who came and was working with me on the label, in my own label. And he ran the label and he said, hey, we need to do Billboard promotion. <laughs> and it was in 94, 95, something, 95. And he's like, I, uh, I know it was my first record was a key of life. And he mm -hmm. introduced me to Larry. Was he the, the one was in charge of the Billboard charts and Billboard? Larry, Larry Flick. Larry Flick, yes. He was Larry the Billboard. Flick. He was in charge of Billboard yeah. dance. Club play and the whole page. It was his the, thing. The whole he the, he wrote the article and he uh, put put that yes. chart together. And the chart may have yes. been a top seventy at that point. The the last iteration of the was it seventy? Was I think it was seventy positions at first. It was a hundred records. Then they cut it down to top seventy, and then eventually, yeah. and I don't know what year they cut it down to a top fifty. Um, yes. And, uh, but yeah, Larry Flick was in there at that time. Yes. Yep. Yes. And I worked very closely you, with him too. We're going to get into the independent promotion in a minute and more details in it. You can talk about whoever you want, the names and all of that. But I know you promoted hits like Rihanna and Katy Perry's and, and many others beside Katy and, and Rihanna. And I'm sure there's a list that you can give us. Um, but can you highlight like which campaign really stood out in your career if the if the big artists, the major label artists that really stood well, out? You know, it's interesting because Katy Perry and Rihanna, yeah. when I first started working with them, weren't massive artists like they are now. Rihanna wasn't mm. a billionaire yet. <laughs> she is now. Um, so a lot of those artists, I, I was fortunate enough to start working with from the ground up. Uh, but there were yeah. there were other more notable names um, that were just a few years later than that, like Swedish House Mafia. I began working with them at the very, very beginning. And Avicii and David Guetta. Now, David Guetta is a household name. Everybody knows who David Guetta Avicii is. Avicii became he, a, a, yeah. a legend in, in yeah. his, you know, because he's the one who started the whole movement, you know. So, wow. um, you know, so th those are some of the notable groups that I was fortunate enough to start working with from the ground up. 
And yes. at the same time, there were some established artists. But that was but in, the, in the 2000s, that's right? That was in the 2000s. Uh, yeah, the this is in the House, 2000s yes. and, and, yeah. and, the, and the 1990s. And in, 19, in the 90s, I was still working with a lot of independent labels. Yeah, we got to go back to that. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I was working with Strictly Rhythm. I worked with Strictly <laughs> Rhythm for seven or eight years. And they were a great. I feel like you had an cool. office there. Like for every yeah. record came in, it was them, quality, manufacturing, and then Lauren Shides <laughs> who went to you. <laughs> a copy always went to you. There was uh, labels like uh, Big Big Beat, which was uh, Craig Calman. Big Beat, I label, remember Big Beat. Oh right? my God, I and, forgot about and it. And of yes. course, Craig Calman went on to be the president of Atlantic Records, and I believe he still yes. is. I mean, what a yes. jump that was for him. But um, I, I really enjoyed working with him. I worked with uh, Sleeping Bag Records and Arthur Baker's uh, Criminal Records. I worked with Jelly Bean Records. These are all independent record labels that I worked with. I worked with you for years. So there, yes. there was a lot. But it, it, it okay. gave me a chance to really develop my, my style. I mean, I, I still don't understand. I thought I knew it, but I really didn't. We're going to go take it uh, step by step. Let's say back in the day, I just wanted you to tell me something. I know it's funny. Like, I remember every time you promoted a record, you used to say, Bob, send me two copies. How many times you used to ask label to send you copies in the mail of vinyl because they were broken or whooped because yeah. of the heat or they put, you know, by UPS or the, the mail put more boxes on top of them. So the record is whooped and you cannot play it. That How happened. many times? That happened. That happened a lot. A lot. You know, and a of lot. course, we were we were sending records, physical vinyl, twelve inch singles to DJs all across the country, and many of yes. them just never made it. So um, never now, made it, broken, broken, warped, <laughs> you know, from the heat or whatever. Yes. Now, when yeah. when things became digital, and this is in the early two thousands, yeah, it helped to a point. Um, although, what, what eliminated what, all of that. Well, it eliminated that, but it put the pressure on me then to create my own downloadable um, uh, website. Platform? Where I, oh. Platform. My whole platform. And it was very expensive. And yeah. I did it. You know, I kind of had to do it. I think all, all of the independent promoters at that time were yeah. having to do that. But it wasn't easy. It was very, very complicated. And well, uh, if, I, if, yeah. If I go back to the 90s, which is my era in the music business, and that's when the I seen the success in my label and others, I seen it. And I followed a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of, I would say strictly rhythm. I follow a lot of Mark Finkelstein footsteps, I would say. Um, you know, take me through this. And so the Amelia, now everybody wanted, want their records to be on the charts, obviously, on the Billboard charts. Okay. Lauren was, you know, the guy for all the independent labels, every label I knew in New York City. Then you got, I think, if you don't mind, I'll mention some, some of the other names. You got Brad LeBeau. You got Bobby Shaw. You had Sin. And I think there was another guy who used to work for Strictly. I forgot his name. Tall guy. Really forgot his name. And there was other, other also house guys. Like, you know, hey, you know, I do promotion also. So, and there's 70, only 70 songs that you're able to enter. How did all of you fought for the spots and everybody wanted to be number top five or top 10 or number one. 
And you, you had how many records at a time you worked? Just, just you alone. Forget about all the names I mentioned. Well, I these work. are household names, even not to mention yeah. the small guys. But how yeah. many you worked at a time, and how did you manage to prioritize records after records after record? I mean, yeah. well, it's like it, an it, ending it, feeding machine. Yeah, well, that's exactly what it was. And and you know, people ask me what was it like having my own business or even promoting records. When you're promoting 12 or 15 records at a time, which was about my threshold, for me to yeah. take on any more than that was just impossible. It's just impossible. And, and then 15 records at a time used to yeah, do. Yeah, and, and then <clears throat> these records would almost fall into a landing pattern uh, on the charts. I mean, they weren't yeah. all being released at the same time. <clears throat> Every week there'd yeah. be new records, or, or sometimes there'd be a gap of a couple of weeks between records. So that would give some breathing room to be able to promote them and to start going for ads and support on, onto the billboard charts. But it was, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> people ask me, how, how did you do your work? And I said, well, I, I got it done somehow, but it was working basically seven days a week from eight in the morning till midnight every single day for 36 years. I mean, it was wow. it was a lot of work. It wasn't easy. <laughs> you know, everybody thinks it's so glamorous, and and it's it is. I mean, it, you're making these records look good, but there's so much sweat and work that goes. Seven in. days. You were seven, doing I was it seven days. Seven days a week. Some DJs wow. would say, "I'm too busy during the week. Call me on a Saturday." And if if they if they said, "Call me on a Saturday," I'd call them on a Saturday. Didn't matter. I I wanted to get my records out there. And how many Billboard reporters were? 200, 250? Uh, no, no, no. There weren't that many. I think at the peak, oh, boy, it's hard to remember. I think at the peak, there were about 150, 160 DJs. And um, it was almost preferable to have that many. There were some times when the DJ panel got down to only 90 or 100, and there weren't enough voices out. So I, I almost preferred it when there were 160. Yeah, it meant more work for me, but I was able to talk to more people about music and, and get records going. But still, these guys were pounded by you. I mean, in a positive way, what I meant. And by everybody else calling him and say, hey, uh, push that record, work that record. The other yeah. promoters, and they had also yeah. probably 10, 5 or 15 labels they were working it, with you know, every the, the, month. The competition was was very very stiff. I had yeah. to very often um, pick and choose records that I would promote. I didn't take on every record that came my way. I could. Uh, I, yeah. I didn't want to work thirty records. Um, and there were some people that tried to do it, but it's it's just brutal. So I did, would did... I would say no. I would say no to some record labels if they came to me. Thinking, you know, do you feel this record has chart potential, number one? Do you think it has top 20 uh -huh. potential or top 10? And I would say, you know, I, I just don't hear it. So I would pass, and that was fine. And there was always another project out there to work on, you know. Um, yeah. But it was, uh, I, I, you know, and this is, I think, part of working as an independent. I was able to pick and choose and, and uh make it work the way I wanted it to work. Did you also work the dance, the sales chart right across no, from it? No. Or only the no. club play? Only, only the, the club, club play. play. So basically with the club play, you know, pr promotion is is really a, a, a business of 
relationships. And yeah. uh, the idea for people ask me all the time or had asked me, how, you know, how do you get these records going? Um, I would get to know these DJs, no matter who they were. Uh, and I would travel as much as I can around the country to go visit them in their clubs so I could actually I hear used to what travel? they were playing. I used to travel, uh -huh. not a lot, because then it would take yeah. me away from being on the phone. Uh, you know, there yes. weren't cell phones like there are now. So uh, yes. for me to go away was, well, okay, if I go away, what do I do? Sit in a hotel? I don't want to do that. I want to go out and visit the DJs and see the clubs. Yes. So I kind of shied away from traveling. Doing that. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I was more comfortable being home, getting the job done to the best of my ability. And I also would tell the labels, look, I, I feel that your record has top 25 capability or top 15 or top 10 or if i what really was the felt, what was the durations like how, what's the life of the record like four oh, weeks okay. six weeks uh, yeah eight no, weeks. the life the life of promoting a record on the charts yeah, yeah on the charts from beginning to end from by the time you mail it put it in the mail and and get it um peaked out on the chart was about um 12 to 14 weeks i would say so you were working any any given record for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. So um, now there were, and this is another question that I get asked all the time. There were some tools uh, that I had to work with, and probably the most important one was the remix. And I know that's probably to the to the bane of so many record labels because then they figured, oh boy, now we have to start spending more money on a record uh, to promote it. <laughs> by having it remixed and remixed and remixed again. But during was, the promotion period, during, during the promotion, promotion period. And so elevate it to a higher chart. Exactly. Number. Sometimes we yes. would be at number eight on the chart. Uh, and the record labels would be like, uh, all right, we, we'd like to try and get this to number one. What can we do? And uh, I guess the easy answer was, well, we got to go in there and we got to get some, we got to get remixes by this one, this one, and this one. Of course, the bigger the names, the, whoever's the bigger hot the on the whoever's charts, hot, yes. right? Whoever's the bigger names, you know, it all helps. But then the 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 record labels would have to foot the bill, and hopefully it worked. Um, very often it did. Very often that extra remix or two was able to help put a record over the top and and be able to make it reach what? the goal that we were looking for. Wasn't that the key? Wasn't that the key? To whoever got their records up to top five or number one, they all of a sudden they get licensing exclusive and non-exclusive worldwide. They start making money from that because of the notoriety that the record has already reached number one. So yeah. wasn't that the main key? That's what their goal, correct? Yeah, the the goal is to kind of get try and get those records up onto the chart as high as you can. Uh, so now, they can get licensed. I, I did want to mention one other thing about remixes. Um, yeah. Back in the uh, 70s, we didn't have the remixes like we did in the 90s and the 2000s. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when Donna Summer's MacArthur Park came out, there was one mix, and that yeah. was it. Now, these records were just the, probably the most unbelievable dance records ever created. Yes, that's and it. So, that's I mean, one, they were and just that's so it. Yes. fantastic. But then they had the time, a, a club version and a radio version. That's club, it. Club version and radio version. And that, you're right. Yes. That was it. But then by yeah. the 2000s, it wasn't uncommon to have six remixes, eight remixes. 
you know, or a DJ would say, I need a remix that sounds a certain way. I need it to be more edgy or more EDM. So it's yes. like, all right. So we would try and satisfy people as much as we can and uh, provide those remixes where we could. But what's uh, the most, yeah. how many vinyls of one record, one song that you've seen because of the remixes? Like no, how many I different vinyls the most you've seen? I think, I think by that time, everything was digital. So it was oh. a matter of just me uploading those <clears> records onto my website. But sometimes mm. in any one given record, like uh, Umbrella by Rihanna, there'd yeah. be 12 different mixes by the time we finished promoting that record. You know? wow. But it went to wow. number one. In fact, Rihanna, I believe, was probably one of the biggest artists that I've ever had re regarding number ones. I think we had 42 number ones with Rihanna. Wow. Every, every wow. record hit number one. Everything. So, uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm very proud of that because I, I did a, wow. all of that myself, but uh, it was a lot of work. But a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, Lauren, I mean, you work with indie labels and major. So what do you think is the advantages and disadvantages of working with an indie and a, and a major? I could maybe say one thing. Indies always want to chisel you down, negotiate the price. Well, uh, majors yeah, always pay know, whatever the bill is. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, well, that wasn't always the case. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the biggest... Uh, difficulty with working with the independent labels was certainly for me at, at the very beginning in the 1980s um yeah. a lot of djs then it's not like they didn't want to play those records but because of the clubs that a lot of them were in they had yeah. to play michael jackson and they had to play madonna yeah. and they had to play prince and they had to play everything that was on the radio um so for us to come along with an independent label record and try and make something of it wasn't wasn't very easy um so you know we we got as far as we could um i'll tell you there were some record labels that were very happy to have a top 30 hit on the billboard club chart at that point yeah that's how stiff wow. the competition was coming from the rec from the major record labels wow wow yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um i mean no, please go ahead. It was, you always it was, have interesting things to say. It, it was, you know, it was a lot of work. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really enjoyed what I was doing. You know, um, there, there's sure there's 30, one 36 I, years, seven well, days was, a week. It was, yes. it was forty, a total of forty three years in profession in the music business. I'm gonna you knock on the wood here. Yeah, <laughs> you need an award, 30, buddy. You need an 30, award for promotion. Thirty six years uh, on on my own, but wow. Um, uh, there was one one regret that I I always had, and this is in retrospect now. I never yeah. had my own record label, and I think that's something that I think I would have had a lot of fun doing. Uh, I had and probably access, a lot of success. I, I well, I I hope so. I think so. You know, yeah. I had access to music that was coming from Europe. There was tons of records that were coming from Europe and, and artists that wanted to be represented here in the United States, especially on the yeah. Billboard chart. It was that so, so important to them. Um, yeah. And I saw a lot of really, really good records that never saw the light of day here, which is unfortunate. Wow. But um, I thought about it. And in the 90s, I figured, why don't I start my own label? 
But I felt that if I did, I would be only focusing on my record label. And then all yes. the promotion of the other artists would fall by the wayside, which, which I, I just didn't feel comfortable with. So I decided mm -hmm. it's all right. It's all right. You know, I'm, I'm a part of these records, whether they belong to me or not. Um, so, um, so if you had a chance to do it again, would you do it the same way or you would start a label if you had a chance um, to do it all over again? Well, I think, um, you know, I needed the experience first. So I, I sure. had to have the promotion background to be able yes. to get to that point where I figured, hey, yeah. let me start a label. So it's not like I would have started off in 1984. Oh, I'll just start a label. No, you know, no I didn't have it a, I didn't, later, yeah. I didn't have a million dollars sitting in my pocket that because it, it costs so much. And then you're worried yes. about or concerned about uh, manufacturing, distribution, artwork, warehousing, management. Uh, royalties, shipping, all of that, uh, yes, yeah, yes. I, I, you know, and it, it it became so complicated. I figured, you know, this is this is not to be worth it. Um, so I stuck to promotion, and I think I excelled at it, and I had a lot of fun with it. And yes, uh, and that was it. So, uh, it's wow. all good. <laughs> I mean, you uh, you've experienced the evolution from nightlife uh, and iconic clubs, Studio Fifty War, and the and the many you mentioned to digital platforms. In your view, um, has the role of a DJ and uh, clubs breaking new music? Because, you know, back in the day, who broke the record beside the DJ? And if you have something commercially, it went from there to the radio. Uh, how do you think this whole thing trans transformed throughout the years? Well, I think, I think that um, DJs were in a particularly good situation. And I would say most of them were. Mm -hmm. where they were able to try out new music on their audiences. Yes. Where, yes. Um, you know, I mentioned before that there were some clubs that had to play the hits. It was only going to be Madonna and Michael Jackson all night long. If, if it had yeah. to be that way, so be it. But there were just as many clubs, I think, at, at that time that were um, able to try new music. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how I think the evolution of of dance music through the DJs came to be. Um, wow! And and I I embrace that because a, a lot of the records that I did promote were not household names uh, or, or artists that, that were not household names. These weren't records that started at the radio and then worked their way down. They they were going to be underground or club records that only were able to work their way up. So yeah, because um, quite a few records that you worked into the charts, they became, you know, big commercial hits, uh, not just domestically, you know, or nationally, internationally. You know, there, I there were a lot. There were a lot. Uh, when, yeah. when I worked with um, uh, Star sixty nine and Peter Raumhauser, um, oh, I forgot about that Star sixty nine. Yeah. Yes, yeah. oh my he, god, yes, he, yes. They had some some club records that really translated to become pop hits later on now some of them yes. it may have taken years uh i remember um what was the uh you I, worked oh, eric morello's record you know I, I like to move it you worked that record yes, i like to move yes. it i, I yes. worked i worked yeah. that record it became and, a, a household new song worldwide 
Well, and commercials is, it, and it, movies. It, it, yeah, it's it's on yeah. TV right now. It's a serial commercial or whatever. It is. Yes. After after what twenty five or thirty years, it's you hear it every minute, uh, all day long on television. Yes, yes. So the, yes. You know, those, those are records that really translated. Did you also work levels? Uh, Avicii, you work levels at Avicii, the first record, yeah. the biggest hit yeah. he has. Yeah. Wow. And that's yeah. also another one that became a household, you know, yeah. song worldwide, commercials and movies and whatever and everything. There was, um, who else did I work with? That was a lot of fun. Uh, Bob Sinclair was. Bob Sinclair, to, yes. I yes. believe he was with the Tommy Boy. Uh, yeah label group for for quite a while and i got to meet him and he was a, a really nice guy um bob sinclair and he had some real groundbreaking records that were uh that were wonderful oh, yeah so um yeah. i remember yeah 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 amazing lauren really um what is the challenges throughout your, your career i mean that's a long extensive fun interesting uh journey you had in the music industry um what what is the challenges and the setbacks that you, if you could share with us some that you came across, and you know you faced in your career, and how did you overcome it? Well, I think the the biggest setbacks, and we had mentioned this earlier in the conversation, yes. when I when yeah. I lost those uh, major league your jobs job in Colombia, yeah, that w- it was yeah. really very heartbreaking for me because I I loved it, and I was really beginning to grasp it. Um, and uh, but I I got past it. Um, I knew that I wanted to stay in the music business, and mm-hmm. um, it meant a lot to me. I had already some very good, solid relationships with not only record labels but DJs around the world. So I figured, yeah. you know what? Let let me let me stay in it. So so that was the impetus for me to to stay in there and and keep working rather than give it up. Uh, but I, so you, you know, at the at same it. time, that, you know, I was having fun. It was, it was a lot of fun to do. It was a lot of sweat and and uh, blood, sweat, and tears. But yeah. it was a lot of fun at the same time. Absolutely. And, and working Absolutely. working at home w- was great because I had everything that I needed. I had all my computers. I had everything right in front of me. Um, for me to travel into Manhattan, which I didn't do. I, I yes. currently live in Westchester County, New York, and I've been here for a long time and still had my business when, when I was living here. I, I was able to, if I thought of something, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, run to the computer and write myself a note or or make sure that I send out a remix to a DJ that's been asking me about something. So mm-hmm. um, as difficult as working as an independent was, it was very rewarding yeah. in a lot of Hmm. Very interesting. Very inspiring, <laughs> I would say, also. Um, what's a common misconception, Lauren, that people have about the music industry? Uh, I think people think that it's just all fun and games, and it's just very uh-huh. easy, and it isn't. I mean, you yes. really have to work. You know, we, we talked just a little while ago about the competition and how many how yes. many artists there are and how many labels there are international. Yeah. At any in any given moment, even now, there there are hundreds, if not thousands, of new records coming out every single week. Um <sighs> it's it's not easy. You can't just sit by and say, Oh well, this record is gonna promote itself. Um, you know, uh, and, and I think people think that, oh well, this is a real cushy 
luxurious job that that somebody has and and it's easy and uh, that wasn't the case that wasn't the case at no. all. so uh, i i think that's the biggest misconception that people might have about it. Um, that is a real fallacy yeah <laughs> i know we spoke about a lot of people that you worked with you know it's one of the questions i had but you probably answered about collaboration and you know it's a key element in our business you work with a lot of anybody else that we haven't talked about it, like a memorable collaboration that you had with anybody that you, you know, that left an impact on you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there were some people. I mean, there were many, many people throughout the years. Um, yeah, that I that I forged good relationships with, and and uh, but there was one in particular that that I felt was a real mentor for me, and I think he may have been so for a lot of people. He was really loved. Uh, at that time, as a promoter in the music business, his mm -hmm. name was Jerry Jerry Lembo, and you know that name. And yes. uh, Jer Jerry um, and I spoke an awful lot. Uh, well, we we worked also. He he worked uh, independently for Profile Records when I was working independently for Profile Records. But yeah. At that time, yeah. he and I were able to converse a lot and talk about things. And he told me about what his experiences, good and bad, were. And I think um, he he really helped me and, and led the way and was able to honestly answer some questions for me about what it was going to be like uh, to fully be involved in the music business. So that's that's one name, I think, after all these years, 40 years, mm -hmm. um, that has really stuck out in my mind. And I Jerry Lembo. Really, Jerry Lembo. Yeah, yeah. He, he was great. Yeah. There, there was, you know, we, we talked a little bit about profile records. Corey Robbins, too, was just terrific. He, he and I yes. worked. I, I, it wasn't, I don't think it was just a client, independent promoter situation. We worked mm -hmm. together. I mean, we would go to the offices after the end of the day and talk about strategy. And, and for me, that was important. He, he, it, it was almost as if... Um, he made me feel like I was a part of, of the company. Uh, although I was an independent, I was there to help make decisions and, and really discuss strategy and, and plans. Hey, listen, when, um, uh, when I worked for Profile, there was one yeah. artist that I recommended that he sign, and wow. uh, it was Paul to Hardcastle. To Corey. Uh -huh. and it was Paul Hardcastle. Wow. And I, wow. I said, you know, Paul Hardcastle's making a big impact in the clubs right now uh, with his song Rainforest, and later on with the song 19, which was a, a big commercial radio hit. Um, yeah. But um, I don't think that would have happened unless I had that kind of relationship with, with Corey. Um, <laughs> and, and that was very wow. special. John Luongo. He's still around. Corey's yeah, still around, yeah, Corey. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not in touch with him too much anymore. You know, a lot of these yeah. people I'm not in touch with anymore, but but they they have uh, made such an impact that they're part of my memory, and it's a good one. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Great. Um, you know, uh, technology obviously <laughs> it, it changed significantly and changed the uh, the music industry land landscape. I would say, how have advancement in technology influenced your work in the music industry as a whole? You know, like think, it went from cassette, vinyl, CD, digital. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Uh, you know, that was the biggest notable part of it was making those transitions. Um, yeah. 
especially when we went from vinyl to digital. I was not happy about that. I mean, I've oh. always been a vinyl person. Uh, and there were a lot of DJs who didn't fully embrace that, too, uh, because it, 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 it was almost like there was more work for them. They would then have to go to these websites and start downloading, listening to remixes, trying to figure out what they were going to play, rather than get a 12-inch single that had maybe two or three mixes on it. Um, mm -hmm. So um, that was probably one of the most challenging technological advances that I remember mm -hmm. having to work with. But we did it, and, and now it's just par for the course. It also killed the music business, I think. Um, How? Well, once records were available digitally on the, on the Internet, anybody uh, could get them for free. And the record labels... Back in the day, yes. Back in the day, yes. in the early 2000s, the, the record sales just tanked, completely tanked. I remember. There was, yes. yeah, people were just going on, oh, you know, I, I can't even remember what the, the, the websites were um, at the time, but they, they could get these records for, for free. So, hey, listen, yes. if you don't have to spend $8 on, on buying a vinyl 12-inch and you can Napster get it for free. Napster and many others Na used Napster. to get it for free. That yeah. was the one that I was trying yeah. to think of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we yes. dealt with that, yeah. though. I mean, it was just part of the business. It was evolving. And again, it's as you know, how, the... how we're back into vinyl again. You know, everybody loves yes. vinyl. But you know, the industry is changing now, too, because we're getting into a new era of AI now. And that's gonna, you know, change, transfer the whole business as we know it, as we, you know, we learn how to, to to know it, which is the digital age. It's gonna change now, you know. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not a part of that anymore. So um, it, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. You only consult, um, give advices now. That's yeah, you it. You know, you know, it's interesting. I um, yeah. I uh, have always said you may be able to take the man out of the music business, but you can't take the music business out of the man. Out Even the, though yes. I'm not actively doing promotion anymore, I've, I've moved on. You to still other read and see and I, I listen to every record out there. And when I go to the gym, uh, let's say if if there's a record playing uh, that I'm not familiar with, you know, I make it to the to that television screen to see who the artist is. Um, do you get records by? I, I know nobody emails you, but do you get like links of emails of new records, new artists, whether independent or major? Now, or not no, anymore? Not, you know? not anymore. No. Not anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm apart from the music business now completely. So, um, but I like listen, I said, I still must... I still listen. You know, I, I, I it, that's never gonna that's never gonna go away. Yes. Um, you must have one of the biggest vinyl collection. <laughs> I don't know if you do, or did you sell it, or you still have? I I, I think the peak of my record collection was when I was still living in Manhattan. And uh -huh. at that point, I had about 14,000 records, all vinyl. And that's not you even need a big warehouse for that. That wasn't a big collection. That wasn't a big collection. There were some people that wow. had a lot more than that. But my apartment, and it was a small apartment in, in New York City, was wall-to-wall. DJ equipment and records and records. Crates, milk crates. And, and maybe a little <laughs> bit of food in the refrigerator. But that was about wow. it. Um, wow. Wow. But, um, and, and now I, I, I think I've sold a, a lot of records. I have maybe about 4,000 left. And these are, these are collector's items, things that I really love. Um, mm -hmm. I have some, some special uh, import copies of, 
of uh, especially some of the rock music that I listen to, some of the Roxy music albums that I have that are pressed in Japan and some of the deep purple records that I have that were pressed in Italy. And so I mean, these records mm-hmm. just sound so good. Um, and yeah. the, those, those are part of my personal collection. Now. And, and again, I was going to ask you, pictures. yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I haven't heard that word import for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> we used to use it in the record. Oh, that's an import. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I guess um, everything's important. You know, Yes, everything is an import. <laughs> um, what is, I mean, how, I was going to ask you, how do you kept yourself uh, updated and, uh, you know, in the latest trends? But you, it came to you. You used to get records every day. Yeah. Probably back, yeah. you know, you didn't have to look for it. Like now, if somebody say, how do you stay updated? Oh, I'm on social media. I'm always listening. I'm always looking, you know. Well, you know, a lot, a lot of it, too, was, uh, and this is a very, very important to being a promotion person. Yes is uh, yeah. not only being able to tell the story, and I guess to have the gift of gab, which I used to have. I don't know if I have it as much anymore. But um, <laughs> but listening, listening to DJs is important too. And and this is this was part of the enjoyment of, of being in the music business, was getting DJs on the phone. And then after we went through the whatever records I was promoting, I would say, yeah. what, what records do you like? And not 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 what the other record, not what the other promoters are promoting. What records from Europe are you listening to right yeah. now? Yes, and you're that was a big yes. part of finding out, uh, you know, what was what was out there. And and if I was on the phone with a DJ, uh, as soon as yeah. I hung up with him, within two minutes, I would be on the computer trying to find the record that they were just talking talking to me about to, wow. to listen to. Interesting, um, but that's that's just part of it. I mean, if if you're going to be in this business. You have to be completely yes. submerged, and you have to be in yes. it uh, and understand it, um, and not just Correct. at five o'clock say, "Okay, the day's over." No, you know, you you have no. to be the in it. The music business never, to me, it never, it, it never, it had no time. It never stops. There was no nine to five, and there's no time for it. Never. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you, um, if you know, for our listeners who's going to be watching, who's going to be inspired by your story and by what you've done in throughout your journey in the music industry, any advice to them? You know, what's well, your advice for the newer generation who want to, who wants to do what you did or, well, you know, or maybe was, carve their own path in the industry. Yeah. I would say anyone who's really interested in, in, in being in the music business has got to learn how to fully persevere what they're doing. Cause it, it, it isn't, it isn't easy. Breaking in is not easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we started our conversation a little while ago, I was very, very fortunate to get that phone call from somebody to say, hey, would you like to work at Columbia Records? And again, not knowing what they were talking about, I said, sure. You know, I, did, I didn't know, but I learned. <laughs> I had to job. learn very, very quickly. But now that, yes. that's, that's very unusual. and That doesn't happen very, very often, I don't think. Yeah. But anyone who wants to get there, there are possibilities and, and there are jobs out there but you, i think people have to find their niche you know are they interested yes. in working in a recording studio um or are they interested in um representing artists or being a manager and i think the 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 best way for them to get going is to just work with an artist learn the ropes yeah. figure out what's involved learn how to shake hands, learn how to talk to people, 
and and all of that. I mean, that's that's just the way you you have to do it. And I think that's yes. um, probably the same in, in in a lot of businesses. You know, if you go to school yeah. to be a doctor, you know what the outcome is going to be. You're going to be a doctor. But in the music business, there there are dozens of different facets and different areas within the music business that you can follow. Correct. Find something that you're interested in and, and, and go for it. And it'll happen. Just don't try and make it happen quickly. That's yes. the only thing that I can say. <laughs> no shortcuts. No shortcuts. There's steps to everything. Uh, before we wrap it up, <laughs> I know you're out of the business and you something that you've done to put it behind you. You've done it well. Um, uh, if there's uh, anything that you want to share before we wrap this uh, wonderful interview with you, uh, with Lauren, and I enjoyed it so much because I knew you really personally for many years. Anything you uh, that you're working on or nothing, but um, I don't know. I'm not trying to drag you into the music business again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm going to sound I, like the know, movie The Godfather. Every time I pull I mean, up, they pull me back in. <laughs> I think at this point now, um, I, I had had such a memorable experience and such a good experience yeah. because the, there were so many yes. great people to work with and that that's important yeah. and I'm, I'm not going to try and make lightning strike twice I mean it, it was what it yeah. is I think just maybe I am maybe I'm not too old to, to be in the music business anymore I don't know about that but uh, it's no, just I, just... I, I, I feel like you know I, I've moved on now in fact, what I'm doing now is I'm working for a nonprofit here in Westchester County and um, helping to run a museum. And it's another whole story. Uh, and maybe okay. someday we'll, we'll be able to talk about that. But uh, I've, yes, I've moved yes. on to other things. But um, I, I would end with saying that there are some real good possibilities. And what I would like to see is the next huge record producer emerge from the dance music field. Uh, right now, there is a lot of mediocre music out there, I think. I'm not happy with a lot mm -hmm. of music that I hear, but there's got to be mm -hmm. somebody out there with a lot of great talent, and it, that person will come along someday. And uh, I look forward to uh, listening with open ears when that day comes. I'm, I'm sure, sure will. I'm, I'm sure, sure will. there'll be you know, Every decade, yeah, there's somebody, you know, like... Uh, Decade of Avicii and Geta and you know how Swedish the whole that they became that became them theirs you know that whole period you know yeah, they I, I I think we're still in that period to to tell you the truth mm -hmm. because a lot of mm -hmm. those artists are still DJing worldwide and and they're mm -hmm. they're still out there but I'm talking years from now five years eight years from now there's going to be somebody else out there I oh think. I'm sure. I'm 100% sure. Um, and, uh, you know, who's going to be the next Giorgio Moroder? That's the quality that I'm looking for. Well, who's, who's going to be the next Gino Socio? Somebody that's, a, you know, a, a genius record promoter or a Mark Sorone or, you know, somebody like that. You know, and there'll be somebody someday. I hope. Yes, I'm 100%. And I'll, I'll be there you know, listening. <laughs> yes. Sadly, all great things has to come to an end. Um, you know, thank you for joining us today, Lauren. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it very much, the conversation, the whole interview, and brought me back a lot of great memories back in the day in the music business. And, uh, and for me, this concludes today's, yes, yeah, this thank will you. conclude our today's episode of Soundbreaker. Please make sure to follow us on social media and stay tuned for new episodes. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Lauren. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
This podcast is presented by Music Dash, world's first AI-powered independent distribution CMS. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share the Soundbreaker podcast. And if you are joining us on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time.